0: I always think that the most interesting people are interested Mm -hmm. and 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 that's actually what makes the difference in good small talk because you know like someone's someone can say you know like i have three brothers and sisters and then it can get to like a pretty interesting place pretty quickly you know (laughs) like if you're like really interested in like what that means and what that experience is like
1: Conversation I have with the founder of Reset NYC, Liz Tramp. Liz is also an author. Her book just came out. It's called The Karma of Success. I was one of the first people to get to read it, which is, you know, an honor and a privilege. So we talk about the book a bit, and she's incredible. I genuinely loved the book. Her ability to break down concepts visually is one of my favorite parts of her work even before her book how she would do that on social media but it's throughout her book and so we get into that as well as how she makes those diagrams and figures and we end up talking about dating and my lack of doing it basically and how you really have to or her experience was You have to make space in your life for someone when you're single. We get into that. We talk about the difference between self-esteem and self-worth and the way she distinguishes the two and really makes a case for how important self-esteem is and the benefits of it being increased productivity and socializing and assertiveness and then resilience when things go wrong and... We get into how to build it and that we can which is you know primarily about who you surround yourself with and making sure that people who you feel comfortable to be yourself around and that also themselves have some self-esteem so this conversation goes in many directions that's just a couple we get into being assertive without being Rude, and that assertiveness is so off putting to me usually. So, we get into how we both feel that way. And she talks about family constellations and how that was pivotal and a big shift in her life. She's really wonderful. And I was meeting her for the first time in this conversation you're about to hear, but I really enjoyed engaging with her work, preparing for this. And she ended up having me on her podcast reset nyc and we did a coaching session i was i was really going through it the day she had me on the podcast and so if you want to hear that whenever that's out i will make sure to let you know but right now listen to our conversation we don't get too much into her background but she has over 15 years of experience working in tech and VC and has worked as an executive coach, but she works from this really interesting spiritual perspective. She's a Buddhist. She's a trained meditation teacher. She studied at an ashram in India, and she has this really robust amount of knowledge in and in a toolkit to pull from. And you'll see, I'll, I'll let you just hear this episode. Okay, Liz, I'm so happy that you're here. And I've been gushing to you about it for about 20 minutes that we haven't been recording (laughs) and holding your book in my hand, which is really hitting me hard. It's incredible. And I couldn't be happier to be recording a podcast with you this morning. (laughs) Thanks for doing this.
0: I'm really excited. I really like I don't know if this is a weird thing to say, but I really like your voice. <laughs> I love listening to your voice on your podcast. So um, I'm so thrilled to be here.
1: That's so nice. Wow. Well, because I have so many directions and threads that I want to pull with you, I want to start by just asking you, what would you most want to talk about today if you could think of anything that, is either on your mind or could be content from the book or your work. That's just something that you are enjoying talking about right now, or maybe even still unpacking. I was going to actually ask you this before so you could think about it. And now I'm putting you on the spot, which might actually be cool. We can just see what intuitively comes to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, regardless, I think, I'm the kind of person who always likes to have kind of significant conversations. I, I am horrible at going to parties and making small talk because I'm always like, let's get to the good stuff. And I think in my work as a coach, it's fun because we're literally always just talking about things that feel really meaningful. And so I think that what I would like to talk about is anything that, you know, feels like it would be helpful to listeners and um, you know, maybe a little vulnerable. So I, you know, can definitely talk about. Some of the low points I've had of building a business and writing a book, and yeah, I just I'm I'm all about like Mm -hmm. you know radical honesty. (laughs) So whatever, there's nothing that feels yeah
1: in the work that you do, working with executives, coaching, and and in most areas you have these the opposite of small talk. We'll call big talk. My mom works in HR and has for over forty years, which is wild, and she often talks about that. And something that I actually was contemplating this morning is, well, I want to ask you what you think the place of small talk is, because I think I had become almost addicted and enamored with going to deep conversation places and really getting in there with people where I was not really well-versed in the skill of connection on surface things, which I actually think is really important too. And I want to get your thoughts on. But first, when I was listening to this podcast you were on, it came out in November of 2020. And whenever I I was sharing this with you, whenever I'm preparing for a show, I try to listen to the guest on as many podcasts where they've been a guest as I can to just kind of get a picture of what they've spoken about before. And when I do that, I'm usually going far back into an archive. And often in the last several years, it will be, you know, these episodes that are such a time capsule of COVID. And what was really interesting around that time, especially really just March, April, May, and then it kind of just petered off. And I've noticed that episodes recorded after that, that summer, whatever, people don't do this, but remember in March of that year, how, no matter what you were listening to, everybody—the first thing they would say was, "How are you right now?" <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Remember that? <laughs> definitely, definitely. There, there was it was all big talk. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because the "How are you right now?" If I said that to you today, if I, it wouldn't have the same weight, you know. Like, "Oh, how are you right now?" Like, it was the tone of voice, it was a cadence, it was this really interesting distinction that marks time then in this way that, you know, why aren't we always asking, well, how are you right now? Right? Like, it's not as distinctive of a time, but arguably what someone could be going through could be much, much worse, you know, or much, much better. It's, I don't know. Is that landing for you at all?
0: Yeah. You know, when you're talking, I was thinking, I wonder if it's because at that point, if you ask someone that and they answered in a way that was not, I'm great, you know, and they had something that, you know, was really weighing on them or they were going through something tough, we could all kind of understand because we were all going through something thematically really similar. And then now, you know, our lives have kind of gone back to the way they were pre-pandemic. And so if you ask someone, you're not so certain about the commonality that you might have. And I wonder if people are, you know, we're kind of back to the way it was where you're afraid to share for fear um, that, you know, it's going to be jarring or weird or socially, um, you know, improper <laughs> to share whatever it is. Whereas before it's like, you can be like, I'm miserable. This is horrible. And people would be like, yeah, okay. Me too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's so interesting. And I, I remember at a certain point I was like, all right, I'm, I'm over the covid talk like let's just like we it's the same it's the same every time and it and then what was funny about it is like even the the realness of of that covid talk like also was became a bit you know like it became a script of like good how are you how, like the what we normally do it became like yeah you know making bread. This, this is wild you know like that even became a you know we can only go so far so it it is really i'm just kind of unpacking it but what what do you think the place of Of small talk is because as someone who, and you seem to have this skill as well, like there's, there's different hats we wear obviously within our careers and our lives. And, you know, we're different when we talk to someone new on a date or on, you know, an acquaintance or someone who you see every day at the coffee shop or a, you know, corporate client or whoever it might be some of us are are better at small talk than others some of us feel more comfortable some of us are more drained than others it comes more naturally than others and i'm i'm just curious like if you see that as a skill worth developing and if it's something that has a social capital and if it's something that you've had to develop with your clients
0: yeah i you know it's funny i actually now that i'm thinking about it I actually engage in small talk a lot, (laughs) you know, not so much at work, but like I live in New York and I live in this building where a lot of people in the building don't speak English, but, you know, a lot of us have dogs, just kind of a funny thing. And I have a dog. And so we kind of like chit chat as much as we can with like our language barriers about dogs all the time. And I've lived in this neighborhood for five years now and I do a lot of small talk with the people in the neighborhood and actually cheers me up a lot. And like I'm the kind of person where, you know, if I'm, kind of like sitting on sitting next to someone in a yoga class, I might strike up like kind of a small talk conversation. And so I think it actually is really valuable if you can be really present with a person. And I think my objection to small talk is like if you're with a friend or something and it feels like the small talk is like just sort of because you're on autopilot um, and, you know, like, or you're in a group of your close friends or you're at a dinner or something and it's all small talk because it's just like a little bit, lazy or like a little bit, I don't know. People don't want to like push the conversation or dialogue, but I do think that there are times where it's like very valuable, especially especially if you're very present and like really paying attention to what's going on with the person. And so I do actually, it's funny. Like I, I kind of, I love joking around and I love being silly and kind of saying nonsense things sometimes, but I do try to like hold a certain amount of focus and attention when I'm doing it.
1: Mm. What do you think? Do you like small talk like now? <laughs> I do, and I I relate very much to what you said. I have an, the exact same situation with the with my apartment, and I you know I, I feel so bad that I don't speak Spanish and and ha- and able to talk more than I am. But in my neighborhood, I I really value familiar strangers and that comes very naturally to me. It's something that, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I I think it, I, it was an adaptive quality, right? Of like, I know I'm not going to be the, and this is not sort of self-deprecating, but I just, I know my, I'm old enough to know my strengths now. And I know what really takes it out of me and what doesn't. And I'm probably not going to be the smartest person in the room or the coolest person in the room or the, you know, prettiest or the thinnest or whatever all these other things I've I've tried to achieve but I can I can if I try be present you know like that one is pretty much in my control and I can really lock in with someone and not do the things that have made me feel small in conversations like such as when I notice that someone's looking around the room for someone cooler to be talking to while they're talking right. to me. You know what I mean? Or totally. Like even if someone says hi to me and I I kind of think they're familiar, but I really don't know who they are. I'm like, oh hi, good to see you. And I try to figure it out and I pretend, you know, because that's made me feel really bad before. You know, so I just I I use what I've got. You know, I'm pretty perceptive. I'm pretty and I just double down on that and I've noticed that, you know, the more I lean into to small talk and the more I'm really present and it start it's a warm up. I think of small talk as a warm up to what my mom would call big talk or going getting to a deeper place because I I've done this for a long time this being the podcast and I noticed that I was often interviewing people like on a first date or when I met them, I'd be like, so where'd you go up? How many brothers and sisters? And then it would just be like a full on one of these without a microphone. And that was quite off putting to people. And I I was hoping we'd get to a deep place, but it just, sometimes you're, you want, you don't want to find all that stuff out on the first date. You want to be like doing bits and seeing if you can, you know, be in a situation together and, and looking around and maybe talking to other people and talking about Art or you know whatever, and then the small talk might go to oh actually you know this thing happened to me when I was you know Um, right there's like a level of warm up. Has that been your experience?
0: I always think that the most interesting people are interested, Mm -hmm. and 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 that's actually what makes the difference in good small talk because you know like someone someone can say you know like I have three brothers and sisters. And then it can get to like a pretty interesting place pretty quickly, you know, (laughs) like if you're like really interested in like what that means and what that experience is like. So yeah, I think it's like as someone who is better at big talk than small talk, like I feel like I'm not the most fun person, (laughs) you know, like I've noticed that like where I can have these really deep connections with people, but I'm definitely not like the life of the party. And that's kind of sometimes like what I wish I could cultivate a little bit more. Like I have some friends who are like that, who are kind of just really great at very like interested, present, like very almost like non sequitur small talk where it's like, they're kind of saying like really kooky off the wall things. And it's so entertaining and fun from a small talk perspective. I think that's kind of like my gold standard. I think that I'm trying to get to at some point.
1: I think it's a lot of asking questions and, and keeping it in the day, you know, it's something, this is something that I was really not good at at all. And and really, until I moved to LA and, and one of my friend's would always say, "What did you do today?" as the first thing when we, you know, got to a hangout or like when there were people around, and yeah, that was so interesting to me. Instead of saying, "How are you?" or "What do you do?" like if they they'd never met someone, they were like, "What did you do today?" and that was really cool because it kept it present and it wasn't like, "Well, we'll go back and figure out other stuff because whatever you did today is probably gonna." make that happen anyway.
0: Yeah. That's actually a great date question. Cause you know, like, I don't know when I was dating a lot in New York, I'd go to the same bar every time that was near my apartment. And I'd say, yeah, meet me at this place. And then, um, had it, I wasn't present and I was kind of on autopilot and I had like the same list of questions, which is like, what do you do? Where are you from? What do you do in your spare time? What's your family like that type of thing. But that like, what did you do today? really shakes things up. <laughs> you know that's actually yeah. like very fun and interesting. and and I think that's like actually maybe my version of small talk. I was for a while, I was on like a tear where I was really trying to meet my life partner. And I was going on so many dates every week and um just got into this like, you know, really robotic flow where I even wore the same outfit every time. I was like, this is a good first date outfit. I'll just wear this every time, go to the same bar, have the same drink. You know, I had a deal going on with a bartender where I was like, talked to him beforehand and I'd be like, uh, you know, like, this is the vibe. If I give you a signal, like, don't put alcohol in my drink, <laughs> you know, because I'm ready to, I don't yes. want to like waste, get too drunk on like a weeknight if I'm not really feeling the person. So
1: but... cool. <laughs> what a move. My friend, Christy, had a first date dress, a second date dress, third date dress. <laughs> my other friend, she, um, it's actually someone who, who did this, this podcast and she had the bartender, the bartender would put one ice cube in the drink if he liked the person and two, if he didn't, (laughs) (laughs) um, are you, do you date or I don't know. I don't know about your, your status. Gosh, Liz, that's, that's an excellent question. (laughs) Um, not, not well. And honestly this year I, so I've never done that push that you've done. A lot of my friends have, and I've never prioritized it in that way. I've had, I've had periods of time where I've, um, you know, been like, okay, I'm going to like go on the apps for a little bit, or I'm going to, but really I, I I'm around a lot. Like I I just have a feeling I'm going to meet someone in person, but actually this is, this is from, from my notes, but I, I wrote down something from one of your podcasts. I don't even remember, which one? Because this was the very first note that I wrote in my phone that says Liz Tran podcast prep. And it was when you first emailed me. So this is completely out of order from, you know, well before I started reading your book and, you know, really diving into the archive of your podcast and listening to you on other shows. But funnily enough, funny you should ask that because the very first question or just I'm going to read it to you verbatim because it's it's probably like a funny iPhone note. But I say, talk to her about change Paris with husband and had, she had been there separately a few years before, and then they were in Paris at the same time, but they were each different in different ways, some in better ways and some in way worse ways. Uh, Talk about dating and needing to have space for someone in your life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's so funny that 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 chaotic note was the very first thing I wrote down before I even like compiled my notes in a in a cohesive way. And then you asked me that question because to to your to your point and to your question, I think I need to make that space right now, and I don't really have it. So I haven't really been actively, I haven't been actively dating like at all this year. Um, but yeah, that that question was the first question, and then. This morning my friend texted me and was like, this person is in town and and they asked if I could give you their number. It's someone I don't know. I mean, it's my friend asking me about one of their friends who I who I don't know. And I was like, well, that's very flattering, but you know, I'm about to do a podcast right now. But it's just so <laughs> funny that like three things happened that that I would I all, you know, not I would this was not going to be a, a dating podcast, but but anyway, not so not really. But how was how is your experience? So you're going to that bar, you're doing it often, and then when did that when did that kind of change and maybe you can talk about a little bit about that that episode i was alluding to and meeting your now husband yeah definitely
0: um so you know what's funny is i really was on a tear i was on a mission trying to make room in my life for someone and then i uh, yeah, i had i had a boyfriend and i wanted to get a dog and i was like i'm thinking of getting a dog and i think he was like whoa i'm not i don't want a dog <laughs> what's going on and we broke up subsequently afterwards i don't think it was because of that conversation but it was a little bit more like i probably was more serious than he was and so i wound up getting a dog and i was like oh you know maybe i shouldn't date so much right now what if i just took some time for the first time in my life and just relaxed a bit around you know this this goal i have for myself and it was actually in that moment is when i met my husband and i had kind of known him a little bit because we worked in the same industry but nothing you know, nothing substantive. I think we had one coffee meeting once and pretty shortly, maybe two or three months after I made this decision where I was like, you know what, I'm not really in a rush. I think I was 33 at the time. I was like, there's plenty of time. One, two, even if it takes 10 or 15 years, I could still have kids, you know, I can adopt some kids and I've always wanted a family. And then it was really shortly afterwards that like we reconnected just through work. And, Really liked him. And I was like, wow, I, I love this person. Um, and then it all flowed from there. And it was really, really nice. And to me, it was sort of this lesson that I'm always a goal-oriented person, but sometimes I don't really know what's best for myself. <laughs> you know, I, like I've like set this ladder up on a wall and I'm trying to climb up, climb up the ladder, but maybe I've placed it in the wrong location to begin with. Um, and it was in this moment where I was really just enjoying life with my dog, being an independent person, traveling a lot, um, that he came in and in fact, when I met him, I was a little bit like, wait, I don't, I don't actually know if I'm supposed to be in a relationship right now. I'm having a great time being single. And my astrologer actually was like, uh, eh, doesn't really feel like you want to be in a relationship right now. So I broke up with him because I said, you know, astrology wise, mm-hmm. I think I'm <laughs> meant to be single. I actually don't know if any of the stuff that I did worked, you know, at the end of the day, I guess it takes you to all where you're going. But yeah, I was very, I had like a whole plan, but didn't actually shape out.
1: <laughs> well, You know, I think and that's kind of my my piece with it in a way is very, you know, the surrender experiment or, you know, we Mm -hmm. dream and like a fraction of what is capable to us. So I guess I know enough about the energetics of things that anytime I really try, try, try for something and I'm wanting to manifest it in a way that's pretty much a sure way it's not going to happen for me, but the things that I'm loose about and I can, if I can get myself to a surrendered spot, that's when I've met someone that's when I've gotten, you know, the thing that if I can just, it's more about like getting myself calm and I can kind of handle everything, which, I, which is such a, or handle everything better than I could from a anxious place. And that's so embedded in your book and in your work. And I, I, I think that that is I don't know something I've I've I really loved about taking in your your work preparing for this and I guess to your other point about like everything leading to to everything else I I do think you know those those experiences of 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 dating and and that push like it is practice and I think it is good and it's showing showing the yourself that this is something you want eventually and you can do and even you know when my friend texted me that I wanted to just be like, oh yeah, I'm all set you know but then I was like, you know what no like it's it is probably good to practice because you haven't all year you know and that kind of thing is like and something one of your episodes this this relates because it helps you build up self-esteem just like when you do something that you don't want to do and you get through it, I think that can be so validating to ourselves. And I definitely want to talk about your book. I want to go in like 8 billion directions with you, but I'd love to spend some time talking about self-esteem because the way that you structure your podcast episodes is so... I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I'm going to just Share my experience, and I'm sure I know for a fact I'm not alone. But it just goes down real easy. You Mm -hmm. synthesize information in a way that like is a direct compatibility with my brain and the way I take it in. (laughs) And I love your voice, and I just am such a. And then you know, don't even get me started on your diagrams and your visuals and your writing. Like we'll get there. But I want to start with talking about this episode about self esteem. But could you Explain to me, because I, I just am wondering if, if you have thoughts on this. What, how do you define self-esteem? But really, what's the difference between self-esteem and self-worth? Some of you might have been around for a while. I have these kits. I call them digital zines or self-study workshops for personal growing. I made one about breakups, the Soothe Kit and the Solve Kit because, you know, I had a breakup that uh, rattled me and I uh, figured out everything I could to feel better and grow, and that one exists. And then I made one called The Write Kit, which is about writing for emotional wellness or journaling, which is the concept of my book, also called Let It Out, and that also exists. And I promised that I would be making two more back then, this ongoing project. One of them was meant to be called Pivot, about transitions, which I have not started yet. But I also promised another one called Talk. And the Talk Kit, I am happy to report for those of you who have been around and asked for it. It's in process. It is coming and I'm making it and I'm so stoked about it. I'm actually going to Montreal in September doing an apartment swap. I'm calling it jokingly my self-made exile away from my friends and distractions to work on this project that I've already started. And I'm really excited about it's going to cover one of the modules in the podcast kit a little bit in a totally different way. but. In the podcast kit, as I mentioned, it goes into everything from conceptualizing a show to getting it to the tech part, right? Of getting it onto iTunes and Spotify and how that all works, production, as well as marketing and monetizing, finding people to listen to it and funding the show, which as you're hearing in this episode, that's changing. But I do include everything that I did to get the sponsorships that i've gotten which have been incredible and i give you my deck for how i do that and i also have a module about interviewing and both the module about interviewing as well as the one about marketing and monetizing i have made breakout modules so you can buy those a la carte so if you don't want the whole kit and you just want the marketing and monetizing stuff you can get that if you just want my My very specific way of interviewing and everything I've learned about that, that is also available to you to buy a la carte. But back to the talk kit. The talk kit will include everything in the interview portion, but I made that several years ago. So that is just a very, very small part of what the talk kit will be about. The interview portion of the podcast kit is about interviewing, right? It's about having a conversation that others are going to eavesdrop on. That's a very different thing than talking to someone at a party, at a date, being charismatic, being charming, how to conduct yourself in an interview setting, a job interview, or a new friend date, networking. There are all these areas of our lives where talking is not only necessary but baked into the fabric of existing as a human being in the world and I am by no means even close to an expert at anything in life and talking is definitely not something that I am you know a authority in in any way however I'm learning just like I was learning how to figure out navigate a breakup and I'm going to learn and hopefully grow and become better and improve and I'm going to take notes as I do that. I'm going to talk to some people who will allow me to grow and share what I learned from them, share that access with you. So this will include every communication lesson that i've learned the hard way (laughs) from you know matching the energy of who you're speaking to playing it cool (laughs) cadence and frequency of talking texting letting the cycle of relationships shift remaining mysterious but also earnestly sharing keeping your open sign on friendliness and you know i'll get into how to read minds which is you know spoiler you can't so how to communicate right and how to navigate anxiety around tough conversations perception which is often wrong i'm not even going to tell you much more because i'm still figuring it out it doesn't exist yet you can't buy it yet because i'm still making it however if this sounds interesting to you at all already you're the first person you listening yeah you that I am telling this to all of you at once, but you know. If this sounds like something you might want to do truly, there's a wait list and you can sign up and find out information about when it is available. And if you have questions for me, things you would like me to cover in the Talk Kit, send me an email Katie, K A T I E, at Let It Out with Three T's.com. I want to know what you want to know about talking. If I have some insight around it, I will make sure to include it in the talk kit. And if I don't, I will find the answer. I will interview people until I can figure it out for you and for me. And I will share beyond other people's experience and research, I will also share my own. And I gotta be honest with you. Like I said, I'm I'm definitely not the authority by any means, however, of any skill that I have, it is talking. It's something that does come a bit naturally to me, more so than, say, math. <laughs> My mom has worked in human resources for over 40 years. My dad was a salesperson for his career. My grandfather was a coach and a figurehead in our community who gave a lot of speeches and he was a radio announcer so I've been around some excellent communicators I'm extroverted and this top kit will include conversation starters it will include social practice it will include well I- I'm just gonna leave it there because like I said it is still very much in process but I am very excited to talk to you more about talking. If that sounds interesting, you know where to find the details on the waitlist for that, which will be in the show notes. And again, this will be directed by you. So let me know what you want to know, and I will figure it out for us. <laughs> or at least we'll talk about it all together, and you'll feel less alone.
0: confusion that we have about our understanding of of self-esteem and and so much of our society is geared around it coming from external places. Like, you know, all through school, we get grades and we get praise and, you know, we're singled out as like the artistic one or good at math or whatever it is. It's almost like we're waiting for other people to tell us what we're really good at. Whereas the true definition of of self-esteem and confidence is really about it coming From inside, and it's actually not meant to be dependent on the fluctuations of life. You know, like for most people, if things are going well, we feel good about ourselves. And when things are going poorly, then we feel really bad about ourselves and we think that we're to blame. But what I learned over the past few years, because there have been so many ups and downs, and also with my clients, like they have ups and downs with their work all the time, is that like if I continue to do that and let my self esteem be based on how well my work was going or my life was going or my relationship was going, I'd feel pretty bad about myself, <laughs> you know, big chunks of the time. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't be, um, you know, at the whim of what's happening in my life. And so it was in this period when it was COVID and I had to shut down my business. And it was just a big failure because I'd put a lot of resource investment into it. And it was the first time I'd really take a, taken a risk on myself, on my own self-expression. I had pretty much failed and I felt horrible about myself. I was like, I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. Why did I do this? I make bad choices. I make bad decisions. I'm self-sabotaging myself. Like This was my internal dialogue all the time. And then one day I was like, I literally cannot live like this. This is crazy. This is not a good way to just interact with the world and I can't take it anymore. I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out if I can learn how to love myself even through you know this point in time where i don't really have a lot externally to show for it um and so now i look back on this year of my life which is when i got really into recording the podcast it was when i was doing like all this work it was the first real year of my podcast and and it was such a hard year but it was also the year where i was like wow my self esteem is solid like i have a foundation and nothing that i do no matter how disappointing people might think it is could ever let me not love myself And that's kind of the big thing that I really want people to understand in the book is that we are not only as good as our accomplishments. You know, I had a boss once who seemed to think that he was like, you're only as good as your last at bat. Meaning like, even if you did a lot of great stuff in the past, you still have to get up to the plate and like knock out a home run every single time (laughs) and like constantly prove yourself. And that's kind of how I was trained. I was like, I need to prove myself. I need to be perfect. And then I realized it's like, no, actually, like, you are just as good as who you are on your worst day, you know? Like that's okay. Like who you are on your worst day is just as good as who you are on your best day. Um, and I talk a lot about confidence in the book and also just in the work I do with my clients because I think it it makes it really hard to be a human if we are always relying on some sort of confirmation that we are okay,
1: yeah. yeah. and those this episode in particular, i I, I would love to recommend to people, and i I will put it in the in the show notes, but it honestly, I, I listened to it last night and I don't know if you have this with songs in New York. I, I would always, I can tell you like what street corner I was on when I was yeah. listening to something and feeling a feeling. I have that with podcasts too. And I, I was listening while I was in Lawson's last night. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I, I can tell you where, what, what aisle, if you really want to know. And, um, what aisle were you in? I want to get a picture of my um, mind. Produce. Ooh, We got, we got a a download and we got a, a moment in aisle six, everyone (laughs) code bread. But no, truly I, what was, what was interesting about this episode is so, so you, you, you spoke about that and like the, the outside validation, you know, for so many of us um, that really, you know, to, to that. And then you talk about some of the benefits of self-esteem, being that, or the benefits to having high self-esteem being, you know, that you're more likely to take action and be in social situations at all and be more assertive when you are and resiliency. And, you know, the reason I asked what you thought about the difference between self-esteem and self-worth was because, you know, people talk about like self-worth a lot in terms of manifestation, right? When you people talk about manifesting things that they want, they talk about well, you have to believe that you are deserving of it. You have to mm-hmm. work on your self-worth. And that always was kind of where I got stuck, where I was like, yeah, I get it. I have to see to believe what's possible for me and ha- get some clarity around that. Like that's one piece. But then the other piece is this self-worth piece that I felt like was just is, is often a, a missing puzzle piece for me of like, how do I believe that I'm worthy and why... Is that important even? And I I guess I because energetically I'm like, okay, you have to be a match to your desires and you know, all of this self-help content. And and you know, and I love it. I love all of it. It's wonderful. Every all of all of it is great and, and hits different people in different ways. But I think the connection I made last night in in Lawson's <laughs> was the reason why having some self-worth and self-esteem relates to manifesting, we'll use that word or getting, you know, to a goal or whatever it is, you know, use a different word. That word has a lot of baggage with it, but it's because, and and we've all experienced this, right? It's like, when I'm feeling like shit, I'm probably not going to go to the thing. And if mm-hmm. I do go to the thing, I'm going to sit in a corner. I'm not going to talk to anyone and I'm definitely not going to be assertive. And when something terrible happens to me, I'm not going to bounce with some resilience. I'm going to go lower, you know? And so when you have worth with yourself, and I think for a lot of, a lot of women, this, a lot of people, this is challenging for, but it just, it it became, it's, you're more likely to take action and, you know, your thoughts inform your thoughts and beliefs inform your actions, and then your actions inform your life. and And I I really made that connection last night with with what you were you were talking about with this. Am I am I getting that correct?
0: Your- yeah, I mean that's that is so perfectly said. And you know, example of that is like okay, so I have a brother. I have one brother, and he grapples a lot with his self worth. You know, because because of how we grew up and. And I did like, so many years of therapy. and And he didn't, But he's so smart. Like, we had our iQs tested when we were like eight and nine, and he' scored so much higher than I did. And he's just brilliant. Like, he reads all the time. He's a great musician. He's a great painter. And he grapples with his self-worth. And he was telling this the story once about how when he was working as a sales associate at Target, this, he wound up helping this woman. And she was like, Oh, I'm, I need to buy some stuff for a uh, film set I'm doing for my agency. Um, and she was like, Do you have X, Y, and Z? And he was like, We don't have that, but I have a solution. And so he came up with like a pretty smart solution to sub a couple items in for what she needed. And at the end, she was like, Here, take my card. If you ever want a job at my production agency, I'll hire you. And wow. that was actually what he wanted. Like he mm-hmm. did really want that but he never called her. And he told me about it like 10 years later where he's, you know, now it's kind of amazing 40 years old and he's like finally going to finish his associate's degree and then going go to go to college. But in the meantime, while he's like getting his credits ready to go to um, his undergrad, he is also, he's working again at target. And he, it was funny. Like he told me that he was like, he told me the story and I was like, why didn't you ever call her? And he was like, I just didn't think that I deserved it. I didn't think it was good enough. And like that to me was like the exact example of like why self-worth matters. And I actually think it's an interesting thing because I don't think we need to do anything to feel worthy because every human person has innate self-worth. Like, and it's funny, like we can look around and see people and be like, yeah, like you deserve everything. You know, we can look at our friends and our family and be like, you should get everything you want, but it's harder when we turn that lens back on ourselves to feel the same way. And, and I can look back and see all the times I not only didn't go to the social thing or didn't like speak up for myself. I almost like actually intentionally or subconsciously sabotaged myself because I didn't have self-worth.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing that, that story in my, in my favorite program <laughs> hosted by you. Set, the <laughs> podcast. Uh, my favorite podcast host talks about the benefits of, of self-esteem. And, and you, you quote all these studies, but you know, it's it, like you said, taking action, this assertiveness, and you, you also give some ideas on, on how, t- how to build it up. And that's again, you know, I had migrated to a different aisle by then, but that's when it <laughs> really started to, to hit me. of like, Oh, okay. Not only is this, um, it, it felt it felt much more comforting. Thank you for making that distinction between self-worth and self-esteem because I think I was like, oh, I'm blocked because I have low self-worth. And I was honestly kind of like walking around saying that in, in ways of like, okay. And I and I was definitely saying like, I'm the least assertive person in the world. And, um, you know, but then this whole, it's like I became a new person <laughs> after I left Lawson's mm. and the episode was over. And the all of these things that you, because it felt like I could, do these actionable steps and and some of them I'll just I'll just say them and then I'm really curious if you were able to talk to your brother about this and if that if that landed with him or if you're if you're too close and I'm 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 wondering how that works but in in family dynamics like that but just for for people listening please go back and do listen to the to the episode but one of the if i'm remembering correctly one of them was the importance of feeling comfortable enough to be yourself around the people you spend your time with and the people you spend your time with those people having self-esteem that is really important to yourself building your own self-esteem and then you know and then there there were many others but those two things hopefully i i'm sure you offered to your brother so were you did you kind of give him a a cliff notes of that episode and and does your work land with with him at all you know i think you hit it on the head like we're too
0: close (laughs) and also it's funny it's like even with like my friends like No one wants to hear from me (laughs) about stuff like this, which I'm totally fine with. And, you know, it's funny because I spent a lot of years trying to be like, you should do this. You should do this. Like even in in 2016, he had like a really bad car accident. He was hit by a car in in LA while he was riding his bike and, um, and he almost died. And I was like, you got to go back to school. Like, this is your chance. Like, I'm going to help you. Like, we're going to do it. And like all these times I've been like, this is what you're going to do. This is, I have a whole plan for you. And honestly, ever since I started backing off, he has just thrived. <laughs> like since I started stopped like meddling in his life, he's just done a lot better. You know, I think that's like a pretty, you know, pretty clear hallmark of like a codependent relationship is like, as soon as I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you're fine on your own. Like he really did rise to the occasion. So I'm super proud of him. Um, but it is an interesting thing because like, I actually, you know, it's probably like 50, 50, like 50% of my really close friends, like listen to the podcast and the other half are just like i i don't need to hear your voice <laughs> which i totally understand and i respect and i get and and so i try not to offer unless i'm asked and and i don't know if you've ever ever heard of human design like do you oh, follow yeah. human design um i'm, I'm a projector. projector oh my god we're both projectors so <laughs> we said it in unison <laughs> so you'll get this michelle like, too michelle's one also and i think yeah. is she an aquarius also um, um
1: no she's a pisces
0: oh what are you? Do you want to guess? <laughs> oh, I'm so bad at it. Are you a Libra?
1: No, but thank you. Libras are so <laughs> cool. <laughs> They're great. Um, what wait, are- what are you?
0: Are you a Virgo? No, I but I have a I I'm not a Virgo, but I have like four, four planets in Aquarius. I'm very Aquarius, but I'm also very Capricorn. I
1: have a lot of Capricorn too. Oh, I love Capricorns. Um, but what what are you? Oh, something that I must get along with well. Are you a Pisces? No, I'm an Aquarius. Oh, you're an Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius. You are Aquarius. Yeah. Aquarius. I yeah, thought I'm you just meant you had a lot of Aquarius. Oh, oh no. That yeah. makes so much sense. Aqu- oh, wow. <laughs> that's very Wait, cool. What are you? I'm a Taurus. Taurus. Oh, Taurus Sun, nice. Sagittarius rising Leo moon. Oh,
0: projector. that's
1: nice. Very, very projector. <laughs> wow. And seven yeah. Enneagram for uh, for the folks at home, which I also heard you are. I'm also
0: seven. Um, Yes, I am. And so I think you'll understand like with because projectors, we're actually not allowed to like share our opinions unless people ask for them. Yes. And I really took that to heart. Once I learned that and I started doing that, I was like, whoa, my life is so much better now. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Recognized
0: it's, and invited in. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's kind of the nice thing about like having a podcast is like you put it out there and then you just see who is interested in it. And it's kind of nice as a projector. You don't really need to like do marketing. It's sort of like just put, put stuff out there. That's what I'm always reminding myself. Like, put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. Which, you know, because that's kind of all you have to do. But you, if you don't do it, no one can ever see you and choose.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like putting your open sign on. And then you can, you're like a a shop. And anyone who wants to come in can come in or a library. Maybe that's a less capitalistic, you know, <laughs> peruse. And then they can, or they can just walk by, whatever. But you're, you're open. And it's not like you know, after hours when you're not, when you're not. And I think it, it was a real watershed moment for me too. you know, the, the projector bit waiting for the invitation is something that I, you know, that's kind of like the hallmark of, of projectors. And we've done so many human design episodes here on the podcast of with Jenna Zoe many years ago and mm-hmm. Aaron Claire Jones, and there's one with um, Victoria and and AC. So for people listening, like there's tons in the archives and I'll link them, but join us for to, just to, to catch up. That's kind of the the piece that is most known for the energy type, they call them that, that both Liz and I happen to be that we were geeking out over. But what's interesting is it, that has, pro- and I think there's like a grain of truth in that for everyone, you know? And, the, and kind of what we were talking about earlier, even with the big talk, small talk dating part of, you know, when we were kind of warming up the mics is that like, someone told me this once I I usually ask people in the rapid fire, their greatest lesson about friendship. And the the best one I've ever gotten was from this person who I, who did the podcast, who I was in a scenario with who I, I just desperately wanted to not only be his friend, but be part of his group when I met him, to be honest. And he said, when I asked him that question on the podcast, he was like, gave this, you know, very earnest answer. And and what he said was it can't be forced and it takes time. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of relates to the waiting for the invitation thing. Anytime, same with your brother, like when I've let go and just been, you know, put my open sign on of like, you know how I feel about this scenario. I'm gonna just go over here and not do anything. And you know where to find me. And that's it. And that you either hear from them or you don't. And that's a much more that's a very attractive energy because it's non-attachment. And you know, back to the self-esteem thing as well the, the watershed moment I had was kind of realizing that I have very, very few friends that I feel like I can fully, fully be comfortable with in the way that you were explaining. But I do have, I do have a few and that's, you know, perhaps all all that I need. And, and I think that getting to that point with some new people though, one of, one of my, my closest friend here is actually moving to, to London. And I think that was sort of hitting me hard as I was, as I was listening to this of like, okay, well, I, it, I wasn't there with her at the beginning of when I met her, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, I am now. And so that, that kind of takes time. and, And then learning about yourself also, also takes time to kind of know your patterning with this. And with building self-esteem and, you know, related to that episode, but, but also beyond, can you talk a little bit more about how you've built self-esteem and what are some of the, you give, you know, several more outside of just the people you surround yourself with, um, assertiveness and, and challenging yourself. You, you even mentioned that last summer, you gave yourself a challenge of being assertive once a day. Could you, Tell me a little bit about that and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and what you learned.
0: Yeah, definitely. And at first I want to say, I mean, I hear you on the, the friends part because, and like that hitting you hard, because the way I came up with that was because like I experienced it in my life just so hard. You know, I think that that, that feeling of, you know, people who really like love and accept you for who you truly are you feel it like it feels really different than people who don't. <laughs> you know, It's not like, Oh, I don't know. Do you, do you not? I don't know. It's like kind of a gray area for me at least. I feel like it's very black and white and, and it, it was really, really different when I wound up like losing some friendships that were particularly like bad for my self-worth. And I just felt like, wow, I can finally like, I can just be me. It was really nice. It was just so beautiful. The assertive thing. I, I, think that I kind of have this like a little bit of a fear that and this comes down to self-worth and like the way people see you that um if I am too complicated or too difficult then people won't like me and for a long time I thought that being likable meant being really easygoing and never like making a fuss and I loved it when people were like oh she's so chill you know and I was like yeah I'm trying to be like chill very relaxed yeah whatever cool what I realized is that like I was essentially ignoring my own wants and needs for other people. And like, this actually like hit me really big where I went to a, like a yoga and meditation retreat up, um, North of New York called Shivananda. Um, and it's very bare bones and basic. It's an ashram. And so you go and you have like a single bed in the dorms or like in a room where you're sleeping in a tent. And I had my own room and the heat didn't work. And it was really, really cold. And I remember sitting in my room for like, I don't know, 20 minutes, like debating whether or not I could make it through the night without like bothering these very kind, nice yogis (laughs) to see if they can fix my heat. Like that was the extent to which I was trying to like reduce my needs and reduce my footprint so that I could be, you know, easy to be around for people around me. Ultimately, I was like, I got to do it. I have to like push myself, kind of push myself. I went downstairs and I was like, Hey, I think the heat's broken my room. And they were like, Oh my gosh, we need to get you warm, blah, blah, blah. So nice about it so appalled that the heat was broken and i couldn't believe it like i sat there for 20 minutes like trying to like look through my luggage to see if i could just survive <laughs> for the night which is crazy and and so like that's a big example of how i was not assertive but then there are like lots of little small ways too where you know even when it comes down to like scheduling a meeting with someone on email you know i'd look at my calendar and i'd give like all these times even if they would make it really hard to make like technically I was free, but then it would mean that I was like not able to pee and like not able to have lunch. And I was like, no, I need to be assertive, you know? And so I counted that where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to offer my calendar times, but in a way that's like, you know, maybe it's not enough and maybe it seems like I have a scarce schedule, but that's kind of what I'm dealing with over the next couple of weeks. And so th- that pushing that behavior, it's kind of amazing how, you know, we humans are so plastic, which is very cool. You know? So I feel like we can go from having, you know, not a big connection to our own self-worth to having like a lot of it within a year, because I went from like having these like little pushes to be assertive, feel so hard for me where now I kind of think I'm like a little bit of like, maybe I swung the pendulum too far, (laughs) like a little bit, like too much of a difficult person or something where, you know, I'm like, no, it has to be my way. Like I get upset about it, but I think it was good. You know, probably swing back to to the middle ground. Um, But that's kind of the big thing is like, you know, I think we a lot of us are like, okay, with self esteem, self worth, either you have it or you don't, you're born with it, or you're not. But that is one of the greatest myths is that like, it's inherent to our personality because it really isn't. Um, It's so changeable, just in the same way that like you if you like, you know, how if you just like haven't worked out in a year, but then you go to the gym, like five times in a row, you're like, Whoa, I feel like a totally different person. Um, That's, Exactly how it is, too. you know, it's just a muscle that we're either exercising or we're not. um and and that's still like even one of my favorite ones now where whenever I'm thinking, okay, like does it feel like I'm starting to get burnt out and run down? Maybe I need to be a little more assertive.
1: Mm, yeah, wow. assertiveness was something that was incredibly off-putting to me. There's when people were that way, and I think, and I mean, still is honestly sometimes often and and I'm wondering, do you think that's maybe because it's you know what they say about envy or jealousy because what you what you envy or what bugs you maybe about someone else is turning that around on yourself, you know, of like it maybe it bugs me so much because I never do it
0: yeah, I, I I think that's like exactly what it was because i it really bugged me with other people too. Like I remember one time, um before I was assertive, my friend like sent back her soup at a restaurant. And I was like, so upset about it, <laughs> which is, crazy. Yeah. you know, like I was like, I was like, who does that? Like, it was like, a, you know, it's $7 soup, like just eat your soup. But I don't know. She didn't like her soup. Like it was cold, you know, and it wasn't like, that's okay. And yeah, so I do, I I definitely, and I think there's like kind of a line because, you know, one of my friends was saying the other day, she was like, I, sometimes I feel like the people who are most boundaried are so annoying I was like, I guess I know what you mean. Like, that's kind of true. And so there's definitely like a line where it's, you know, we want to like have empathy, you know, see the other person's perspective. It's kind of like meeting halfway. Right. But I think assertiveness is like making sure you're getting your half.
1: Yes. Okay. That's, that's actually quite helpful because part of me was like, yeah. Okay. Maybe it only bugs me when I see it in them because it's something unawakened in me that I actually could benefit from. But then part of me was like, I don't ever want to be like that, you know, but I, that, that, how that's an excellent distinction. I, I don't want to be like that specifically. There's a boundary. There's a, there's a spectrum that, you know, I can, I can move further from, you know, one end where I'm at to a more centered spot, but I don't want to, you know, crossing a boundary to, you know, there's a, there can be a, a thin line between assertiveness and like being an asshole or being rude or like having bedside manner when you, when you, do take initiative or you are assertive, but also not being like a, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Would you mind? Just no problem. Actually, don't even worry about it. Actually, like, do you just want mine? And I'll I'll, like, I'll go make you new soup or like, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, and it's, I'm taking that to an extreme kind of, you know, but it's, um, or even like in the example with that soup, like You know, I think
0: if my, like my friend, you know, back to like the halfway mark of like meeting, so she's needs to meet like the restaurant halfway, like she was kind of just like rude about it. And I think I, maybe it would have sat with me better if she was like, Hey, like, I totally understand you guys are really busy right now. I'm super sorry, but if you have a chance, like, could you replace the soup if you don't mind? But it was just more like, you know, it didn't feel like there was like empathy on the other side. Mm. And that's kind of the way I think about like healthy relationships is like, you have so much empathy for the other person where you're like, you really do try to put yourself in their shoes, even if you're mad at them. But then also you have an equal amount of respect for your own needs too. You're like, I get your needs. Like, let me understand your needs. And also, let me just like stick to my needs as well. Hey, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I was thinking about it because you're saying that person who asked you that had listened to your podcast. Do you ever have the experience of like people who listen to the podcast who there's like a real information asymmetry because they know so much about you and they're like, we're friends or like we're there's like a perceived closeness because of it. But you're like, but I just met you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then what do you do about it? Because I don't know what to do because I sometimes feel bad or like I don't,
1: yeah, I, I mean, it's a parasocial relationship, right? It it's not real. I mean, I'm not great at this. I my it's funny, when I lived in New York, my my best friend from college also lived there with me. And she made me a rule because when I first moved to New York, I was saying, yeah, I didn't have that many friends there. And she had moved much earlier than I did when we were when she was younger, when we were both younger. And I moved, you know, like four or five years later. And so she was really set up with her friends, but I was trying to not insert myself in her group, but really make my new friends. So I was saying yes to every coffee date, every you know anybody who listens to the body, you know. And it got to a certain point where like it, it felt like everyone wanted to. Um, I hate this is my least favorite term. I, I can already tell. I have a feeling you're probably not going to love it either. Pick my brain, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it just felt like the, those sorts of questions. And and some some of those people are still my friends. Some of sometimes it works out, but but other times it really felt like, oh man, there's something off here. And I just didn't know what it was. And I, in a way, I really liked it because I think even, you know, just anyone who's on Instagram and you meet like in a internet sort of way, and then you meet in person, you both know a little bit of something about you think you do at least about what they're presenting to the world. But then you have to actually have those in-person conversations, which is why, you know, moving to this neighborhood, I've met everybody who I'm close with at a garage sale or at the coffee shop or like in these really, you know, ways that people met in the nineties. And, and then I find them on Instagram. I'm like, Oh, cool. Like you do that. Oh, oh, hell, like I, I I often talk to people many, many times and have no idea what they do for work. And, but it's opposite in those situations. So I don't really have a good answer for it, but all that to say, my, my best friend from college who was there, she made a rule for me at one point that was like, no, no more friends who, um, from the podcast <laughs> like <'cause laughs> it's getting weird because <laughs> then she would kind of meet them. And, and it was like, and, you know, and so, sometimes that wasn't the case and they they were lovely, but I don't know. Have you, have you found any, cause I don't really have a good answer for it other than like doing it less.
0: <laughs> I I have like one friend who actually became like one of my closest friends who like we'd known each other before, like through friends, but we weren't close. And then she started listening to the podcast and like she got to know me better and i then we started hanging out and i was like oh i love you and now she's one of my closest friends and it's a new relationship um but i guess i think i I guess i just wish i knew what it was that everyone knew about me because then i could like adjust (laughs) you know like i don't want to because sometimes i'll be like oh and then blah 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 and they're like i know i heard it on the podcast i'm like oh well i wish i knew you know like you could see kind of what people already so you're not like having to fill in the gaps actually was interesting. I mean, not to say that this is like the same at all, but um, I was having a conversation with one of my friends and he is a trans man, but he, you you wouldn't be able to tell, like most of the time he passes as just like cis. Sometimes people think he's heterosexual. And I was like, Oh, like, is that annoying for you that like, that you pass? And he was like, well, kind of, because he's like, oftentimes I, if I want to tell a story about something, it's like, it's important context to know that I'm trans and then I feel like I have to stop and be like, and anyway, I'm trans. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. and then
0: like, and then like fill in the blanks and like be like, okay, and like here's the background information that you need. And like it's this happened X number of years ago. Here, blah, blah, blah. Just not as clean as like when you just meet someone and you don't have to share all that back history and information. So I guess actually, in some ways, like maybe the podcast is a good thing because um it's kind of nice when people just know these things <laughs> about you. And then other times where I'm like, oh, I wish that maybe we could have. Like had that in a conversation together, just yeah. organically, that would have been nice too.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing, right? Like I don't know, you know, that the we don't have that much as a human, you know, experience. It's relatively new, so we don't have that much data on like what this will be like. But because usually people who get known, you know, don't end up having that parasocial relationship, or I, I don't know. It, there's there's a lot of nuance here. Yeah. I, I'd love to know, can you talk about what you learned from family constellations about success? Because I'd i never heard of family, or maybe I'd barely heard of it, but that was really interesting to me.
0: It was so cool. So it was so mind blowing. So family constellations is this idea where you have a, it's a methodology where you have this practitioner who um, is guiding you as you work through and reshape the biggest, like toxic trait of your family of origin <laughs> and like, and and kind of like puts like physicality behind it. Right. So you're in this group with like 12 other people or something. And then she's like pulling people in to like play out the different members of your family, you know, and not that you have like lines or a script, but you're like standing in relation to each other, you know, like either facing each other or facing away from each other, depending on, you know, how strained your relationship is. Um, and it was wild. Cause I did it with a bunch of strangers who all worked with my executive coach at the time. This was like probably five or six or seven years ago. Um, And so we didn't know each other. We were all in this house in California together. And one by one, she would, you know, pick a person to have a turn and the turn would last like an hour. And then she would look at them and without even knowing anything about them, she would say like, this is your problem. Like (laughs) this is issue. And they're always like, wow you know, and then they would give more context to it. You know, they'd explain um, and it, you know, ran the gamut. Like one person, she was like, oh, like, you know, your whole family is like, is not close because, you know, you've lost so many people in war, you know, your grandparents lost so many people in war. And so like you have a hard time connecting with your own children because you're afraid of losing them deep down. And so she was really talking about generational trauma, like inherited trauma. Um, And when she got to me, she was like, you know you're, you you think that like you always need to suffer in life because your whole lineage of family has suffered so much and so you now look at your work as like you need to kill yourself in order to like feel like you're working hard enough and it was so true um my family's originally from vietnam and vietnam is this place that has been constantly besieged by war for like almost its entire history because it's been like subsequently colonized by like the Japanese, the Chinese, the French. My grandparents had their they were the closest people in my life until they passed away. Um and they had a crazy time. You know, like they spent their entire adulthood in war and my grandma was an orphan and you know she was like abused by her uncle, she tried to kill herself. My grandfather like was literally in battle like shooting at people, watching people die. And like, you know, he, since he was really, really young, like since he was like in his twenties, he joined the army and he was always in the military his whole life. And, you know, he was a general in the army and, you know, he used to smoke, but he gave up smoking so that his men like that were in the battalion with him could have more of the ration of cigarettes. And, you know, like that was his life. That was like everything he knew. And then like when Vietnam collapsed, when my grandparents were in their sixties, suddenly they were living in like suburban Virginia, like doing school drop-off for me and my brother, and like packing us lunch every. Day. You know, <laughs> it was like totally different. But it was like a whole different lifestyle, and they're just like, you know, my grandpa was like taking care of the lawn and like cooking and stuff. Like that so, I grew up my whole life thinking that like life was supposed to be hard, particularly work. I didn't see anyone who enjoyed the work that they did, um, and in family constellations, we out played play this out where the facilitator she had each person kind of stand and be like, okay you are Liz's grandma you're Liz's mom you know you are Liz's like you know uh uncle aunt and she kind of walked around and like had them say different things to heal the process and be like I'm your grandmother and I want you to be happy I'm your grandfather you do you you do not need to hold on to my suffering for me and then at the end of it, it was crazy. She like turned me away from my family and she turned me to face out the window. And then she put these two pillows on the sofa. And she said, these are your future children. And what's happening right now is you're shifting your entire lineage and breaking the pattern for future generations so that everyone in your family from this point on will understand what it means to be happy. And it's so wild because like i really feel that way <laughs> and like it didn't happen overnight it wasn't like i left this house in california and i was like great and, you know like all my trauma is healed um and it was a process but it was just this like someone articulating something so you know if we're talking about small talk versus big talk big, big, huge talk. Like this is my inherited family trauma for my lineage. And like my job is to fix it. And it was very shortly afterwards that I left the job that I was in where I was working in venture capital. And it was like very demanding. I was working really long hours. Um, I was always stressed out. Like to the point where like, I was always getting cold sores, which, you know, you have like the virus that, that can give you cold sores, but stress is really what, what, exacerbates them and i would get one like every two months and i would take medicine like i had a constant prescription for my dermatologist that would just get rid of them in like a day or two so it didn't really bother me i was just like always taking medicine and then after i left that job i never had a cold sore ever again <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> like and i was like sleeping better i mean everything changed for me but i think part of that too was like learning that like my happiness does matter but you know it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs you know when people are just trying to survive like my family was in vietnam like self-actualization and happiness isn't even like on the menu. And I feel very, so grateful that like self-expression, self-actualization and joy actually gets to be something that I'm allowed to care about and allowed to shape my life around.
1: Mm, Wow. Yeah. That, that all is incredible. And, and honestly, because of everything that, you know, your family situation and the challenges from your your childhood and family situation, which you know many people have in, in different ways, and um, one of the things I love in the book is that you give several examples of people who have reached iconic levels of success at all different times and all different ages, and you say there, are, you know, are three myths of success, and, and one of them is that it doesn't follow a specific timeline. And then, you know, you include these examples and throughout the book, there, there are so many that, that are, are really wonderful, but hearing that story, of course, we're going to have to pivot several times and learn about ourselves. and And it's going to be a slower process when, you know, what we're up against is learning about, why i'm feeling the way i'm feeling or this is the history of this and that's why you know practice like that can be incredibly useful for the self awareness of of understanding why your self esteem might be low you know in the case of of you and your brother or also understanding you know oh this is what's even possible for me at all like th- those things are 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 so wonderful
0: yeah i love i love stories of people who whose life followed a really like different timeline than we think. Like, you know, Maya Angelou in the book, she was prolific. And she wrote, she published her first book when she was like 40. And, and, and that's not even old, you know, like life is so long,
1: but you know, we're just,
0: I think that like, we all like shrivel up and disintegrate when, you know, we hit 45.
1: Yep. <laughs> I know, I know you said this earlier, but it was also in my mind that you met your husband when you were 33, your now husband, when you were 33, because in Lawson's my, my ears perked up at that moment because I am 33. And I, I, and I love that Maya Angelou story. You also have a story about Vera Wang and there's an incredible story at the very beginning about Georgia O'Keefe, And there's so many in there. And, and, you know, what you've said about how we value youth, obviously in this culture. Um, but, It's much more inspiring for me to hear about the person who reached success on the other side of 50 even than right now to hear about people who have become prodigies and and, and anomalies. And you even tell a story about someone you work with who was pretty torn up about not being on the 30 under 30 list, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I know I'm trying to... Now that I'm I'm 38, and um, I'm trying to find some cool role models for like what it would look like to be in my 50s. And so I've been really actively like looking like you know not like people I know necessarily, but yeah, sometimes, but also just looking online and and just trying to find, you know, a vision for what that looks like because everyone says it just keeps getting better and better and I love those stories. And also I think everyone is just on their own path and like this type of, you know, it's hard because like we are literally on the same track as everyone else all through high school and then if you go to college and then if you go to grad school you know you're the same exact age as everyone around you and you're doing the exact same things and then at some point you need to like let go of that construct and just say my job here is just to find my own path um and it's like you said in the beginning where you're like you know the surrender experiment where every time You've tried to like hold hold hard and fast to like a specific timeline. It hasn't worked out that way. It's been, in fact, maybe even better. That's been one hundred percent the experience of my life. And my hope with the book is that um, it is a vessel for people to say, "Yeah, whatever path I'm on and the way that I'm doing it, the unique style that I'm bringing to the execution of it, that's perfect. Like that's great." And you know, marching to the beat of one's own drum is like one of the most courageous, miraculous, and you know, biggest indicators of success that that I can think of. Um, because everything else is like, you know, it might it's, it might be a short term solution if you're trying to just like you know copy and paste your way to success. But you know, for long term happiness, it's so much about just figuring out who you are, loving yourself through the process, and then like letting it be okay that you're just doing your own thing.
1: Mm, yeah, one hundred percent. And the book is so incredible. And I I really want everyone to get themselves a hard copy. And I got to ask you, you are so good at breaking down and organizing concepts, as well as so more than anyone I've ever encountered in my entire life. The Way you break things down, like I said, goes right in. But what's special about this book, and I have not seen anywhere at all, I, you know, I've seen infographics and I've seen they're all cheesy and I don't like them. I, and, and again, this is on your Instagram, which, you know, is, is very famous. And I'd love to hear about your take on visuals and, and the way that you curate your, your Instagram is just, truly I-, I wasn't even like fully aware of it until yesterday. I'm just it's all like I'm I'm a huge fan. Like I'm a I'm like president of, of your fan club <laughs> at this point. But can you talk to me about, you know, how you break the concepts down and how did you get into making the diagrams? And has has that been something that you've done for a long time and can you just talk a little bit about them? You know, obviously people can get in a sense of some of the of the diagrams from, from the book through your Instagram, but could it, could you just kind of try to put it into words what I'm describing and how you do that?
0: Yeah. Okay. So these, the charts that I make for Instagram, um, I hand draw them and then I pass them on to my really good friend, Tessa, who works part-time as a designer for reset. And, um, but the genesis of them is that I mean, I was struggling so much when I started making these charts. Like and pretty much every single chart that is on the Instagram page or in the book has come from some moment of confusion, sadness, anxiety in my life where I was just like trying to bring some organization around it. <laughs> and maybe it's like a of trying to just like you know, make sense of the situation, but, you know, like for instance, one of my favorite, favorite charts of all time. And I think it's actually one of the best, you know, most liked ones on Instagram is this one that is basically like a line graph and it's called good things take time. And it shows this like little tiny little line charting its path slowly, slowly upward, but like going down, going to the side, taking some detours until it ultimately goes up. And, you know, there are things like learnings, failures, you know, new experiences, setbacks, et cetera. Um, and I made that chart because I had been trying to get pregnant for like two and a half years. And I was so depressed. And I'd done so many different things, like gone to like a dozen doctors, done a bunch of fertility treatments. And it was my way of basically saying like, you know, it may seem like to myself, like Liz, it may seem like you're so far away from getting what you want, but like, actually look how far you've come. Look how amazing that is. And so many of these posts are just like kind of consolation letters or love letters or support letters to myself that I just make public. Um, and you know, like there's one chart too, that's that I think is called like healthy relationships. And I was working through some issues with a friend and I was like, I got to figure out like what friendship actually means. And so I think it's the way my brain processes is like to put it into an image. I think because I had to make PowerPoint presentations for so long in my life, (laughs) like Career, I was like always making PowerPoints. And so I'm like, oh, like this is just the way I think and the way that I process information. And then with the podcast, too, it's the same thing. Like everything I say on the podcast and the way I synthesize it, it's because like that's what I need to hear. And so, like, sometimes on the podcast, I mean, often I do share like my personal experience of like why that topic is coming up, but sometimes I don't. So just know that like underscoring every topic, like it's because I'm like wrestling with that at that exact moment. And it's exactly what I need to hear.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get so many pitches now for this, and every time I've said yes to one that I've been kind of met about, it doesn't go as well. Like I have to be so curious in whatever I'm doing and ask what I'm curious about. Like Bowie says, you know, of you know when he second guessed the audience and tried to perform for the audience, the work suffered, and when he mm-hmm. you know did it for himself, like that's that's when it was most um well received and and probably best and i think you know what we do following our own curiosity is is really useful um this is my favorite book right now and i that's so nice i really i really like talking to you thank you for
0: asking all these great questions it's like it's great (laughs) like it's just different it's it's so different than what the conversations i've been having and it's so refreshing
1: Oh my goodness! Well, thank you so much. And and honestly, I'm like, well, is she liked so? No, she should have heard these seventeen. Like, yeah. you know, these are where it really comes alive. They're not even the the rapid fire questions I ask everybody. We're not going to do those ever because I have so many specific questions for you that I, I almost want to like read them off. Just in like my ego wants to be like, <laughs> wait, look at what the, this I picked up from the book, and this and this, you know. But truly, I'm I'm such a fan, and I'm just so happy to be connected with you. But you posted something on your Instagram a while ago, but I came across it last night and I'm just wondering, and this was not one that you made. This is just something you posted. And I'm just curious, like, what does this mean to you today? I'm going to read it. Mm -hmm. Who are you when you are not performing for the people inside your mind?
0: That's so good. I actually think about that like all the time. And it's kind of, I think the reason why I posted is like, I was thinking a lot about like the process of writing and how my writing only opened up and changed. Once I stopped like having these expectations of like who I wanted people to think I was like I had all these voices in my head that were like you can't write that people aren't going to like you or like you can't write that you don't seem smart enough or like pushing me and the thing is like we of course there's this element where like we want to avoid performing for other people but like sometimes the voices in our head are even more critical than the voices around us and like we say things to ourselves like, we would never ever think of saying to someone else. Um, And I definitely know that that is true because like, even in like times where I've like, I can't like be around other people because it's like too much comparison. And I'm just like, isolate myself. And I I still am always just with me. You know, (laughs) like, that's actually where it starts is like, I have to, you know, really intentionally cultivate, like, you know, more of an accepting, loving mindset with myself. You know, I, I, I know that you wrote this a long time ago, but like, to me, journaling, like your your book about journaling, it's like significant because journaling is like 100% the way I rewired the way I think about myself, you know, obviously like therapy helped and like ayahuasca helped but from like a day-to-day tool, like a constant journaling practice of being like, okay, this voice in my head is not helping me. What do I actually want it to think? And writing that down in my journal. And so that's what it means to me today is like, I think that that question of like performing for the voices in my head, it gets easier, but you know... I don't know if it ever goes away completely. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it relates back. This might be a stretch, but I don't know. I don't think so. It relates back to the self-esteem thing as well, because to the point about being around people where you can not feel like you have to perform, the importance of being around people that you're comfortable to be yourself around, that means that you're not performing for them but also you know when you feel like you can that that's what is attractive to people you know and and if you read that anxious and attached book people who are avoidant need to feel like the other person is chill to to be able to feel safe in a dynamic and an anxious person needs to feel like they have some sort of reciprocal feelings for them to feel chill but it's such a catch 22 because they're constantly performing, like, give me reciprocal feelings. And the other person's like not having it because they're not, they're not chill. Right. It's like that. It speaks to this. It's like both people just need to feel comfortable. Like that's all it is. And we need to be able to feel that way within our, within ourselves. And, you know, my, one of my favorite figures, my first question on the questions for next time um, was, you know, it seems like journaling is a big part of your practices. I'd love to talk about that. And there's a, um, you know, journals past and present. There's this incredible figure number 17 in the book, The Art of Journaling. I'm just going to read it. Your journal is far more than paper and scribbles. It is a tool for shaping the person you're becoming. So I would love to talk about that next time and so much more with you, Liz. But but truly, I can't thank you enough for your work and for connecting with me and for for doing the podcast today. And... And also, you know, like allowing us to continue this because I feel like we truly just scratched the surface. So um, thank you again so much.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Katie. Um, And we will talk soon, very soon. Yes,
1: wait, let's do the deep breath real quick. Um, Yeah, perfect. Inhale, let it out. (sighs) That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you again (laughs) so much. I'm just so happy to know you. Okay, that was my conversation with the incredible Liz Tran who I can say is now my friend. She's so cool and I am so happy that this podcast allowed me to meet her and become familiar with her work. Like I said, throughout her podcast called Reset is such a great resource and I've gotten so much from and find so comforting and inspiring and knowledge-giving so listen to that as well as get yourself a hard copy of her book her book is called the karma of success i loved it there's so many great visuals if you follow her on instagram and i'm sure you already do her instagram is really well known and has these diagrams which we spoke about that are you know some of my favorite things on the internet right now but if you don't already know where to find her on the internet the links are in the show notes and Again, last week on Amelia's episode, I mentioned that there aren't any sponsors right now. So it just, again, means so much even more that you're here. Um, And if you want to support the show, the best way to do so is leave a review, leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, I'll give you a prize. (laughs) I don't know what it'll be, but I'll think of something and email me a screenshot and let me know you did it and i will think of a prize it's gonna be a surprise and i have a sub stack now it's called let it out lists if you want to read it or subscribe to it or become a founding member of the community there where you can support this work that's another place to do so or you can just keep coming back or come back whenever you feel like it. I'll be here. Hopefully. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And last but not least, I mentioned the talk kit also on last week's episode. And in the middle of this week's episode, you heard a little ad for it to get on the wait list to learn more about that or any of the other kits that we talk about here or that we have available here Or if you have no idea what the Let It Out kits are, go to letitoutkits.com and learn all about it. They're kits for personal growing and I would love for you to check them out. There's one on breakups, actually two on breakups, the Soothe Kit and the Solve Kit. There's one on interviewing and of course, the Podcast Kit, which is very robust. And we have one called the Write Kit, which is about the content of my book journaling and soon to be one called Talk. I will talk to you very soon back here. This podcast is produced by the incredible Brianna Bain and Spiraling, my mental health podcast that I co-host with Serena Wolf and also edited by Bree, will be returning this fall, this September. If you don't know what Spiraling is or you you want to catch up on old episodes, we're going into season five. It's a mental health podcast that is humorous where Serena and I are just two friends talking about anxiety. But the link to that will also be in the show notes if you want to get yourself in the mood for Spiraling to return. And if you want to send us a question, spiralingcommunity at gmail.com. We will get back to you. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.